I, uh, I went last week or two weeks, I was with Rob Cooper. Rob, where are you? I thought I saw you come in. You're back there in Crystal. Rob and Crystal uh, helped start a charity, a foundation called Children of God Ministries and sold a business a few years ago and decided to put part of the proceeds into a charity to help children and especially their initial connection was in Zambia and they've been working with a church that's uh, in Bakersfield and in Las Vegas uh, that have already been doing some child ministry there, child sponsorships. And so Rob invited me to go and sponsored the trip. And uh, I said, Rob, I'll go with you if you go through Kenya with me. And uh, I'll go to Zambia and check out what you're doing, but come through Kenya and see what we've been doing. And maybe down the road we can work something together. So it was a different kind of mission strip. It wasn't as much outreach and evangelism and crusade-style stuff or leadership development stuff. It was more like a spying out the land and getting a vision and a, 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 just an idea of what we can do down the road. So we were talking about child sponsorship for feeding and education and uh, developing a plan to, to start a uh, trade school. And I put in plural trade schools because we're hoping it'll be a prototype that can be reproduced in other places. And uh, that's for skills and development uh, and employment for young people. How many have heard the phrase, you can give a man to fish, a fish, you'll feed him for a day, but you can teach a man to fish and you'll feed him for a lifetime? Well, that, that's the movement in missions. It's about empowering, about uh, giving things away and helping equip and train people to, to move forward. And then last but not least, part of the, the mission of Children of God is discipleship. It's the key place, discipling future leaders. So that's what we were exploring, and that's why we were there. Jumped on a plane, left LAX 1030 on, a, I think it was a Monday night, and it was a, a 16-hour flight, probably one of the longest I've ever been on. And uh, so we landed at Dubai in the middle of the night. But the cool thing is, Rob is an evangelist, and I've been with him now several times and he's always sharing the gospel. So I woke up in the morning, and that gal right there, the stewardess, Rob led to Jesus while I was sleeping. But, but, but the thing is, Keith, Keith between us, it was Keith's birthday, and Keith turned 40, and he left on Monday night, and his birthday started Tuesday. He was in the air for his whole 40th birthday. And, and the stewardess was trying to pour him wine, and he didn't want it, and they kept asking why. Well, then it got into a conversation, and she's from uh, Latvia. She received Jesus, and then uh, before we got off the plane, she insisted, come and take a picture with the captain, and so we did, and we held up 300 people from getting off while we took our picture with the captain. So if you've ever been waiting a long line, I thought this was just good vindication for the times I've been stuck before. This is Dubai Airport. It looks like Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas. We got there like two in the morning, and instead of going to the Transit Hotel, we decided to get a cab, and we bummed around Dubai because it's a place I've always wanted to see. These are two of the, the that, that one on the left is the tallest building in the world. In Dubai, they have everything, the biggest, the tallest, the nicest, the wealthiest. I mean, they brag about the biggest mall in the world, and now they're building another tower that's bigger than that tower, and that other, so that is the, uh, the name of that is the uh, Burj Khalifa that's uh, 2,722 feet tall from the desert floor. And that other hotel is the Burj Al Arab Jamariah. It's a seven-star hotel. Rooms go from 1,400 a night to 2,400 a night, 24,000 a night. And uh, the interesting thing, when you check in, there's gold-plated iPads in every room. And you can choose from 17 different pillows 17 types of pillows. And so it's a seven-star hotel. It's 45 bucks for a cup of coffee. We did not go there. And, and so 
we, we jumped, the next morning we jumped in a plane and we flew to Kenya. And a little, little different style, but praise God for what's happening at Agape Kenya in Nakuru. And that's their child development center. And uh, that's not a very good exposure on Pastor Bishop Shadrach Olo, but he's been friends for a long time with our church. Many of you know him. Came here in 93, was going to Cal Poly on an ag grant, and uh, we became great friends. And in 96, our church partnered with them and began to do stuff in Kenya. And now there's four churches over there. And uh, this church is the main church that we bought the land and built there. And uh, they've been working with the kids in the community for a long time. Now, they're in kind of a low-income area. It's government housing around there. And so Pastor Shadrach started a few years ago feeding and taking care of the kids and educating the kids. And uh, I told Rob, I said, I think he's got about 150 kids, so maybe they'd be interested in sponsorship. We showed up, there's 413 kids. And, uh, and, and man, that's, not, that's just a portion of them. And so it's filled up, and he's doing feeding programs. And their school is out of the 22 in the crew area, they're, they're ranking in the top five all the time. They're different classes for education. And uh, yet they have needs. The teachers are still working with very limited resources. It's still a blackboard, a chalkboard and chalk. There's no textbooks in their classes, in their school yet. The teaching aids are super limited. I, I should have put one picture for screen. I thought we could see better. But the lower right-hand corner all those posters around the wall, like some of it are the parts of the eye and the parts of the body and the parts of insects, they're all hand-drawn or hand-painted because they just don't have the resources yet to develop the right teaching materials. A little different than gold-plated iPads in Dubai. And, uh, but, you know, God wants to do something there, I believe. And he's raising up some really neat kids. I went around one classroom and asked them, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I had people say, you know, doctor, and two of them said pastor. I think, yes, yes, we'll, t- we'll take care of you. And then, uh, and then we, we had one little girl wanted to be a hostess, and another one raised her hand. She said she wanted to be the president of Kenya. And I said, okay, dream girl, dream big. And, and so how many know? I mean, we have so many opportunities here, but they still have dreams over there. And so part of empowering is part of our connection is to be able to maybe help supply and help, help build and develop some of the school resources they need. They're also doing feeding. Shadrach feeds those kids every day. So on the stool, there's these little cups of porridge they give in the morning. And then in the afternoon, they eat sukumawiki and ugali. And I remember sukumawiki because one time I ate some and it was the sickest I'd ever been in my life. Because it, was, it wasn't washed in the right stuff. And I even had a check in my spirit, don't, don't do it. And I ate it. And did I ever... No more sukumawiki for me. And I uh, felt like I was sick for a wiki. And uh, Sammy Anderson was with me. And he, man, that was like one of the most intense nights. <sighs> anyway, I'm so glad. But when I see the word sukumawiki, this, this is what they eat. This is what they eat. And it's a maize, a millet flour, and collard greens. And so Shadrach feeds the kids every day that, and part of our plan for sponsorship is to be able to upgrade the nutrition in the, in the food, to, to able, be able to add some protein to it, add some fruit to it, so they're getting more of a balanced diet. Some of the kids, this is the meal they get. This is all they get. And so it's cost them about $10 a month to go to the school. Many of the parents haven't even been able to afford that. And uh, even the public schools charge a fee 
The other challenge is with the teachers. Shadrach's been able to pay the teachers some like 80 to 100 and something a month, and the public schools pay about 350 a month. And, uh, and so Shadrach's trading up teachers, and then the public schools come and take them away. So we're, we're hoping we can do some things in sponsorship to help uh, supplement that. Maybe there's teachers adopting teachers. Maybe there's some stuff we can do down the road to help uh, just encourage and increase the classrooms. And then Sunday we're at church. Some of you have been to their sanctuary. They're in a remodel right now, so all the banners are down. They're repainting and and, uh, but I tell you what, when the, when the hankies come out and they start dancing, the dust starts rising because the floor is being redone. And uh, so it was a great, great time. Then we ministered to kids and prayed for the junior high. And it, w- it was just a great, great day there. And then the next day, so that was on a Sunday. Next day, we went back to um, Nairobi and we went down to, oh, wait, back up, three Mike Sparrows. So, see, this is the weird deal. This is almost scandalous. So... The, they, they name kids after you, if, I guess if you've helped and done some things. So, so that's Mike Sparrow, number 29, and the other one's Mike Sparrow. I'm going to help him. Jan and I are going to get to school next year and finish school. But this is what I found out too. So I, I led a young guy to the Lord, and I asked him what his name is, and he said it was Shrek. I said, Shrek? And his friend goes, yeah, like the cartoon. And so I thought, well, maybe they name you after cartoon characters, so that all adds up, and that's why there's Mike Sparrows over there. I don't know. Anyway, so we get to Lusaka, Zambia, and this is the team that's on the ground some, and I, I'm sorry, the pictures are a little sh- more shrunk than I thought, but this is the team that's with us, the guy in the yellow shirts, the director of uh, a ministry um, orphanage over there, and then Keith and Brother Dave. Dave pastored in Bakersfield a long time, and he's on the team. The guy on the right in the green shirt is, uh, is Bob, and Bob was on the ground two months before we got there doing logistics. Rob in the background, and then Peter's our, our driver back there, just a great, great, great young man that's part of the COG team over there. And so we strategized, started at the Breath of Heaven. Uh, it's an orphanage, 100 and plus kids, and they're just doing an amazing job there. That's their, there's a classroom full of chickens. That's, that's McNuggets, lunch, dinner, and whatever in that room. And then the, some of the most amazing kids that you'll ever meet are in that, um, in that orphanage. Some of them are single orphans. Parents, your mom couldn't take care of them anymore. Some of them are double orphans. Uh, I, I met an amazing young guy. His name is Gift Banda. Remember Kumbo Banda that used to play sax for us? His name is Gift Banda. And uh, Gift's mom died of AIDS and left him with siblings. And he's a, an amazing soccer player. Uh, a neat young guy, and uh, so some great, great young people there that are going through school, but they get out, you know, ninth, tenth grade, and now what do they do? And so part of the vision is developing this trade school to take them to the next level, and so we spent some time talking to pastors and leaders there about uh, what they need, and uh, it was got some good ideas and good insights, and so to make it all happen, there's, there's a plan for child sponsorship. So we went to this, this uh, one of the churches that's kind of involved already. Uh, Rob, what's the name of that town? Tim? Shantumbu. I love that name, Shantumbu, but I can never remember it. Anyway, so th- we went to a church, and there's a school there, and, and started working on sponsorships, filling out forms. Here's some of the kids there in classroom styles, just big open classroom, and... Uh, so we're filling out forms and things for them to be sponsored, taking their pictures. 
And I did this for you, Peter. There's Layford Mututwa is right there. And uh, Peter's a Zambian. Wave at us, Peter, and your family with you back there. Edith's back there. And so I'm texting Peter back and forth from Zambia asking him questions. But we're, we're in this school, and here's a Layford Matutua. And uh, Layford, he lives with his mom and three brothers, three sisters. His mom's not working. His father's passed away. And he likes to study mathematics. And uh, he's, a, he's a math guy, Peter. Maybe he's an engineer. But he, what he likes to do, sweeping is one of his favorite, favorite things in football. So he likes to sweep. Praise God, he's a cleaner. And he wants to be a doctor. And uh, Layford wants to be a doctor. So uh, the kids have dreams, and we're signing them up, bringing them back, and trying to figure out the next phase of how to do sponsorship. And there's a team on the ground working on that. Here's the site where the trade school is going to be. Uh, Cog has bought 10 acres, and there's Robin, the architect, and uh, guys are, and this Pastor Ernest down there has been a great help and a connection. Uh, just planning for what the first phase is. You put a wall in, a septic system, and a wells, and then start to work on classroom and dorm setting. It's going to be a dorm school. And uh, here's a group of pastors we met with just to get ideas. Because it's one thing when Americans come with ideas, and often they don't work when you get there. And, and so these guys even said that. First of all, the bishop that's in that group thanked us. He said, most NGOs... Most nonprofits come with their ideas and try and get us involved. You guys are actually asking us for our input and what might work. And so one thing that's happening is Japan, when cars get about 50,000 miles in Japan, they can't pass smog anymore. And the Japanese are dumping their vehicles into uh, Zambia at low price. There's a lot of cars and there's not many mechanics. And so um, one of the ideas was to help develop a mechanic school so kids could be trained to do that and to help keep up and take care of the, the, the vehicles that are coming in. So these pastors were sharing ideas. It was great brainstorming, great, great connections. Uh, maybe a board member or so will be out of that group for the cog on the ground. And then even before, I, I kind of got this out of order, um, Dwight's here this morning, Dwight Ferguson, Dwight back there, and Dwight's a Zambian, His, uh, um, he was born there, his parents were missionaries there, and Dwight's sister and brother-in-law live on a game reserve up in the corner almost to Angola, and uh, Pete is a brilliant guy, his brother-in-law, and is really well-connected. Uh, I think he's fourth generation in Zambia. Actually, it was his great-great-grandfather that worked with William Wilberforce in England to try and alleviate uh, slavery, the slave trade. And so it's got deep heritage, and Pete's really connected. So Pete said, fly up here, uh, see us, meet with us. I got some ideas for you. So we took that little Cessna 210 and uh, flew two hours and three quarters over jungles praying. <laughs> praying. And, uh, and got there okay. C certain parts, you look down and you say, I would not want to be there. I would not want to crash land in that place right there. Anyway, we, we made it fine. This is their house. Got a beautiful home there. And that's us enjoying their amazing hostesses, host and hostess and Peter and Lynn are just incredible people. Peter's got this crocodile hunter, big persona, and, uh, but super connected. He's a Zambian at heart. He said, I'm a black guy in a white guy's body, and you, you, you believe that when you get there because he, he loves the Zambian people. And so they treated us great. The only thing is one morning we were in that setting and a cobra came under the door, a little baby cobra, kind of disrupted breakfast, but the, their assistant 
ended the cobra's life quickly with a little pipe. <laughs> anyway, they're involved with the orphanage. They got 100 plus kids there as well. They want to run a game reserve and bring people into the game reserve, and, and some of that helps the, the meat from the game reserve as well as the people that visit help help with uh, resource there, and Peter's connected as well in the government connections. He's the only white chief in that part of Africa. He's a white chief, and so he's involved with the politics of it, also helping with the uh, regional medical center there, and people coming to him for help, and man, just a busy, 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 incredible guy, and uh, this is a family that he's working with now, the director of the medical missions on the left, really neat guy we got to spend some time with, and the girl in the middle had rheumatic fever that impacted her heart valves, and now her, her heart's been in failure for a while, and uh, we went and prayed for her and just tried to encourage her, and uh, Pete's doing his best to try and figure out whether to fly her out for a heart uh, valve operation or uh, if the Lord will heal her supernaturally. But that, that's the kind of heart he's got. And he embraced what we were doing, said he would want to be on the board, and it was a good, good contact for uh, COG Global there, Children of God. And uh, lots of good things happening. That's one of the medical clinics there. See all the beds lined up? Well, a lot of the medical clinics, you show up, and you bring your food, and you get your medicine, and then uh, it, it, it's a whole different deal here. So if you've complained about medical care here, and, uh, and uh, it's just a different thing. We went to the teaching hospital in Lusaka to visit a gal that had a brain tumor, and uh, oh my golly. And so I'm grateful. Every time I come back, I know I can whine and complain here, but when I come back, I'm just grateful for what the Lord's blessed us with here in our country. I had to, in Africa, I have to throw in just a couple animal pictures, and uh, so I, I think it's a water buck, but correct me, you Zambians, if I'm wrong, the one on the left, and do you know what the one on the right is? Yeah, that's every country. That's a zebra. Same, that's. And anyway, this time I got to sample a zebra steak, a little piece of zebra with teriyaki glaze. And it was actually pretty good. It was pretty tasty. But when my four-year-old granddaughter heard that I ate zebra, it put her into like a traumatic shock. <laughs> Papa, you ate zebra? And anyway, she's still recovering from that. And so... After our trip up there, we came back to Lusaka. We had an amazing Sunday at church with Pastor Ernest's church, just a powerful time in worship and sharing. Pastor Dave and I got to share, and the whole team ministered. And uh, Rob, the ever-evangelist, right outside the church, there's a bunch of bars. It's a couple blocks worth of bars. We could hardly get him in the church because he was in the bars, in a good way. And uh, just talking to people and sharing with uh, people, and that's right out in that scene is where I led Shrek to the Lord right out in front of the church. So it's, a, it's an amazing place and great, great things are happening. And so thanks for prayers. We appreciate that. We'll be talking down the road about partnerships and, and sponsorships at our church and some of the other things that we're doing and uh, probably be taking teams there before too long because there's lots of opportunities in the orphanage and, and places to minister. So we'll keep you updated on that. But I want to spend the rest of the time, just the next few minutes, talking about why we go and why should we send people to go. And it's connected with the Passover story. It's connected what we celebrate this week out of Scripture concerning God's plan to bring His people out. It's the overarching story of the Old Testament, how the children of Israel in bondage to Egypt and how God set them free and why He set them free. 
And so this morning and just the next few minutes before we take communion, I just want to walk you through part of the Passover story. Now, many of you have probably sat through a Seder supper and you understand the components and the Jewish tradition about the things they eat and the bitter herbs and all that. I'm not going to spend time going through each component of that meal, but what I did want to spend time was there's four cups involved with Passover. And and Aaron, could you help? Because there's grape juice in there and if it goes bad, it goes really bad if I spill those. So if if you wouldn't mind setting that up there. These are just commemorative. These four cups are are cups that the the priests would lead in or the elders of the Jewish house would lead in concerning Passover. And they have symbolism that I think is important for us as we talk about what this week uh, commemorates and what this week means. Thanks, guys. So if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus 6. And, and we're going to just read through there, and I'm going to break it down a little bit about these four different cups and what partaking of these cups uh, commemorated. First, Exodus 6, 1, it says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you'll see what I'll do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he'll let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. You know the story for years and years. The generations, they've been in bondage. They've been held slavery in Egypt, and they were really overwhelmed by their taskmasters, so they're working their hearts out for very little. They were, they were increasing in number, and yet even as they increased in number, Pharaoh put more pressure on them, more oppression on them. And as we start the book of Exodus, God says he hears their cry, and he sends Moses to be a deliverer. And now in, when we get to chapter 6, God begins to speak to Moses how he's going to do this. He says, I've heard your cry, and now I've come. I've come to deliver you, and here he makes this promise. By his mighty right hand, he's going to pull him out. In 6.2, God says to Moses, I am the Lord, El Shaddai. And I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, the Lord Yahweh, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Cana, where they resided as foreigners. And moreover, I've heard the groaning of the Israelites from the Egyptians, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I've remembered my covenant. Say that last line with me. I have remembered my covenant. Isn't that powerful that God doesn't forget? Isn't that powerful that when God makes promises, though it tarries a while, though situations change, and maybe you and me even drift, and you and me get discouraged, and you and me even back off of our commitment sometimes. God said he remembers his covenant. He's a covenant-keeping God, and he said, I've come because of what I've said, not because of your good deeds or your works. I've come because of who I am, and I've come to deliver you. And here's the promises he makes, and these, these four cups are based on the four I wills There's more of them here. You group them together. There's like six in this statement, but you group them together, and there's these these four I wills that God promises because of who he is. Therefore, says the Lord, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will free you from being slaves to them, and I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment, and I'll take you as my own people, and I will be your God, And then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. And that settles it. And he made this promise. And based on those promises, now here we are generations later during Passover, 
the, the, the leader, the priest, the head of the home, he takes these cups in honor of the I wills that God made. Before that, God says, I, I'm revealing myself to you in a different way. To your forefathers, I revealed myself as El Shaddai, and that literally means the God of heaven, the all-powerful one, the God that's up there that keeps everything together. He's the all-sufficient one. He has need of nobody. He's secure in himself, but then he says, I'm going to reveal myself to you as the Lord, Yahweh. And he said, I didn't make myself fully known to them. I'm the almighty God, the distant God, but to you, I'm making covenant with. To you, I'm entering into personal relationship with you. To you, I'm going to be Jehovah. I'm going to be the I am. I'm going to be the one to become. In other words, I'm walking with you now, and tomorrow you might need something else, and I will become that to you. And tomorrow you, you might have trouble because you're a new parent, you're raising kids. I'm going to become, I'll become to you a guide and leader, how to raise a wife, how to raise a family. Tomorrow you might run into paths where finances are tough and, and contracts aren't coming. And tomorrow I will become to you a provider supernaturally. You walk with me and I'll be Lord. You make me Lord of your house, Lord of your life. I'll be Yahweh to you. And he makes a promise to them. And then he says, this is how I'm going to do it. And so we, we, we start with these four I wills. I'll take you out, and then I'm going to free you, and I'm going to redeem you, and then you're going to be my people, and you're going to come into the promise that I made for you. You're going to come into the possession, the inheritance that I'm giving you. So this first cup, traditionally they would call it the cup of sanctification, and sanctification means God said, I, I, I'm calling you out to be a separate people. You've been entwined in a culture. You've been entwined in maybe the idolatry of the Egyptians, and that idolatry has cost you. You've been a slave to them. You've got slave thinking in your mind. You, you've, you've been oppressed by them, so you've been under a cloud, under oppression. I'm going to sanctify you. I'm going to bring you out of that. And the Lord said in Exodus 3, I've surely seeing the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry. Aren't you glad that God hears your cry? I just went through a study on that again, just out in Scripture where God said he hears cries. I shared with you, he heard the cry of the demoniac all the way across, the Gadarene all the way across the lake and went to deliver him. He hears your cries. Grandmas, he hears your cries for your grandkids. Parents, he hears you crying out for your children. He hears your cry, and, and he raised up deliverers as a result of that. And so this, this, this first cup is that I'm, I'm going to bring you out. And so the tradition of Passover, there's the eating of food and, and all that. And, but, but this first cup would usually be full. It's not, this one's only this full, but the first cup's usually spilling over. Because it, it starts with gratitude. It starts with remembering for, for in a Jewish Seder setting, it, it starts with some praise. It starts with thanksgiving. Sometimes they read Psalm 23 about God being their shepherd that they won't want. They, they read about him. He leads and he pulls us by, by still pastures. It's this idea that God brings you out. And they drink to that, the first cup. That, Lord, you sanctify me. You got a plan for me. You don't want me mixed in a culture. You don't want me in bondage. You got something special for me, God. You're calling me out. That's the first cup. Amen? 
This is Titus 3. It says this, Once we, too, were foolish and disobedient. Nobody in here like that. And we were misled and become slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. I love the, but when God our Savior revealed His kindness and love, He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we'd done, but because of His mercy, He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. We're set apart for what? For freedom. We're, we're set apart for Him. He's calling us out. It's the cup of sanctification. He's drawn us out of the old and drawn us away from things that would hinder and hurt. Cup number two is this promise that I'll, I'll free you. Now, you know, you might come out from under the slavery, but sometimes there's still things up here, still things in our mind that, that we don't live as free people. Anybody ever experienced that? You know, even at this end, as you read all the way through Exodus chapter 6, 1 through about 8, and God's making these powerful promises, there's, there's one verse after it says, some of the people couldn't believe him because of the cruelty of their, their living. What they'd been through had kept them from really believing that God would keep his word, that he would be real. And this is what this cup is about, the cup of deliverance, where God says, I will change you, I will transform you. Scripture says we have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, amen? We have to change the way we think about our lives and our relationship with God. We have to still believe and, and renew in us the, the belief that God is with us and God is for us, especially in seasons of stumbling and falling and, and you know, where we've given in to this or we've given in to that and we're getting beat up by condemnation. No, he says he will deliver us. He'll change us. One of the Things as we're talking over there in Zambia is, uh, and even in regards to the orphans and education and getting them through a trade school, the bishop said, this, this, is, this is the disconnect. You can put them through school, and, and especially in orphanages, you put them through school, you put them in training, but the disconnect is the belief that they could work a job and that they could really get ahead. The, the idea that they've been living so long hand to mouth, day by day, that they could actually build a life long term, that you could actually get a job, you could save, and then if you saved, you could hire another mechanic to help you, and that you could grow a business. And it stops the middle class from growing is because of a mindset that just hand to mouth, hand to mouth. And he said, we, we, we got to break that cycle, and we met a brilliant guy that's doing some of that through training and teaching over there. And, and so that mindset, the slavery mindset, God, I wanna, God says, I want to deliver you from that. I want to break that off of you. And I want you to live in true freedom. And so Ephesians 4 says, since you've heard about Jesus, I've learned the truth that comes from him. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let it, the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. I want to read that again. Let the Spirit... Renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Anybody need a little of that in here where you just need God to help renew some thoughts and help renew some attitudes about how, how he wants us to live in him, that he's got victory for us and freedom for us. Amen? So this cup is acknowledging I have a new nature now. This cup is the cup of deliverance. It says, God, you're, you have delivered me and you'll keep delivering me. You, you're, you're taking me somewhere. You're you're moving me somewhere. You're, you're bringing me into something. That's, that's the second cup. Are we all right? Yeah. Do we need to wave some hankies for a minute? I don't, I don't know. 
getting quiet in here. So the same old thinking, what? Gives you the same old results. And the cup of deliverance said there's a new way of living. There's a new way of doing life. There's a new way of thinking. Even contemporary Jews would say that cup is really about freedom, that God wants freedom in us. Well, the third cup is the, the, the cup of redemption. And you, you might think that, well, that they, they seem so similar. And ushers, could you pass out the communion right now? You see that little footnote down there. Help me with communion cups. But, but, but some would say this is the cup that Jesus took in the Last Supper. It was that cup of redemption. And, and redemption means I'm bringing you back to my original intent for your life. I'm not just bringing you out and changing your mind, but I have a vision for your life. I'm redeeming you and putting you back on course for that which you've been made for, that which God designed you for, the things that are in you. When God says, I'm redeeming you, the cup of redemption is, I, I have a plan and a purpose for you, and I'm going to restore that in you. Not only am I getting sin out of your life and an old mindset and a poverty orphan mindset out of your thinking, but now I'm bringing you into something so you fully understand why you're alive. You fully understand what, what, what you, the gifts you've been given and what you've been made for. And, and that's the cup that Jesus took. They said uh, on the night he was betrayed, Scripture says he took the cup. And many said it was th this cup, it was the, the cup of redemption. And he said, this is the covenant I'm making with you. In other words, I'm going to be your Savior, Lord. We're one, he prayed, that they be united in purpose, that, that he, you would get back on track and follow with what the plans that God has for you. That's the cup of redemption. And so I saw this little kid at, at, sitting on the steps, this little girl with a Superman on her chest. It made me stop and think, in, in rural Zambia, what does a girl think about being Supergirl? What, what, what would she dream about? What would she think about? And the truth is, it doesn't matter where you go in the world, there, there's kids with dreams. There's people with dreams. God puts them in them. So we're here, and we have full opportunity to exercise and stewardship the gifts that we have. And maybe the gifts are more limited there, but God puts something in people. There's gifts in people all over the world. Do you believe that, church? And even he says to Jeremiah, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. So this idea that God wants to redeem us, wants to put us back on target and on task for what he created us for, it's one of the cups that they would lead in throughout that Seder supper, that they would drink of that and say yes to you, God. I say yes to your redemption. I say yes to your plan. I say yes to what you created me for, God. I, I want that, and I, and I drink to that, God. I drink to your purpose in my life. Amen? We're going to drink in a few minutes, and maybe that's, that's what you need. Maybe as we take communion, some are coming out of stuff. Maybe some are still wrestling with stuff, and you're allowing the Lord to change your heart and change your mind and change your thinking. And other people are saying... I, I'm growing, and I'm getting out of that, and now, God, show me. Show me what I'm made to do, and the cup of redemption is for you. As they're passing out communion, another little animal we saw over there is a chameleon, and 
If you look on the right on that green branch, I mean, from a distance, th this is Michael Devine. Mike's, Michael's a director of the orphanage there. And we pull up in the car, and he says, hey, check this out. Look at that branch. And I'm staring at the branch for like, what am I looking at? I see green leaf. And then finally, th th there's a chameleon in there. He pulls the chameleon out. It's, it's so cool. It's got eyes that go like this, you know, and they're looking all day, and its tongue's about like this long. It takes a bug, and it's just an amazing creature. I think God was having a blast when he created a chameleon. I really thought he, he did that in full laughter when he created a chameleon. But the one thing about chameleons, you know they change color depending on where they are. And they get in certain settings. So we took that green chameleon, and we put him in a red bush to see. And he, he didn't get real red, but he started to get pretty red. He, he's changing with the background. And, and as we're taking communion this morning, maybe I'm just talking to a few chameleons that you're used to wherever you are, that's the color you are. And so you get out at the party and you're the party guy. Or you get around the church guys and you're the church guy. Or, or you know, you get around with the gals and the wine tasting tour, you're the life of the party. And then, you know, when, it, when it's time to pray, you, you switch back and you're the Bible study gal. And it, it, it might be that when the Lord's talking about bringing you out of things, he's just talking to you about a consistency where you're not switching it up all the time, where there's not different lives, where, where maybe he's just trying to work in you like he's worked in me and is working in me that, you know, I, I can't be this different guy when I get in different situations. I got to keep my ethics. Got to keep my core values. Got to keep my convictions. I, I, I got to speak up. I got to talk. Like, one thing being about around Rob on this trip and other times he, he's sharing with, about Jesus all the time. Sometimes I'm real nice and polite when I need to speak up and just say things, help, help people, challenge people. Anybody in here can relate or am I just personal confession with my communion cups this morning? I mean, are, are, are you, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. There's, there's, there's things that God wants to do in us because he's taking us out and bringing us into new things. You believe that this morning, church? How are we doing with communion? We got it? Okay, this is the last one. It was the cup of halal. It was a full cup as well. And it really it was the cup of blessing or the cup of praise because after the idea that God would take me out and he would restore and clean me up and change my thinking, and that now is the idea that God says, and I want to make you my people and I'm going to bring you into a possession. I'm going to bring you into an inheritance. I'm going to bring you into a fullness. So the last cup, the cup of halal, is a cup of praise. It was, it was a rejoicing cup that says, God, you've, you've redeemed me, you've changed me, and Lord, look what you're doing in my life, and look what you've done, and look what you're about to do. And it's, it's a cup of hope, and it's the cup that God says, I'll take you to be my people, and it wasn't just temporary. The word forever is in there. So it's a cup of celebration. You're committed to me from the beginning to the end and even into eternity. You're committed to me. And so the last cup was a cup of overflowing. It was a cup of blessing. It was a cup of celebration. It was a cup that just says, God, you, you are Lord. Not just Almighty El Shaddai. You're Yahweh to me and you're committed to us and you're bringing us out.